0: Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com, where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey.
1: Hey, let's give up for Jesus today, huh? He's worthy, right? Amen. Well, hey, uh, how many of you out there could use a little bit more joy in your life? Could use a little bit more joy? Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, the first eight verses. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles there, hold your spot, and uh, we're going to be working through those first eight verses today and discovering how we can find joy in the journey. Before we jump in, though, I just want to say I love this church. I love Faith Assembly. Uh, I first came here. Yeah, we can clap for that. We like clapping for that. Yeah, Faith's awesome. If you're new, you need to know this church is awesome. Back in 2005 was the first time that I came to Faith Assembly, and I was with the Central Bible College basketball team, and Pastor Phil was gracious enough to allow us to come and hang out. And uh, we were playing a tournament in Southeastern, and so I sat where you're sitting as Pastor Phil taught the Word of God powerfully, and I was taking notes, uh, a lot of notes. And then we jumped into a Sunday school class. Now here, Pastor Phil still has that Sunday school class. I took more notes. And then after service, Pastor Phil downloaded some information, to us about pastoral ministry that he's learned from pastoring you guys, and uh, one thing I love about this church is you've always been about the spiritual development of people. That always has been the case. That always will be the case here at Faith. So that's for one reason why I love I love Faith Assembly. Another reason why I love uh, Faith Assembly is because a couple years later, uh, Pastor Phil we were in town again for a tournament, and and Pastor Phil invited uh, a player on the team to speak. And so that was 2007. And so it's been 16 years since I've been invited back to this platform. Uh, so whatever your expectations are, let's lower them right now, okay? And so if you're expecting a home run from Pastor Blake, let's just hope for a bunt from Pastor Tim, okay? Uh, so if you're up one in a 10, let's, let's dial it back to maybe a four, and that will probably be, be about accurate. But, but one thing I love about this church is you've always, this is a multi-generational church. It always has been since I've been here, when I've, since I've been a part of it. But, but you're a church that believes not just in multi-generational, but you're about championing the next generation. I had a friend that told me one time, he said, Tim, the church is only one generation away from being extinct. And one thing I love about Faith Assembly is you're saying, not on my watch. We're going to invest. We're going to empower the next generation because our kids, our students are not just the future of the church. They are the church. And for that reason, I love Faith Assembly. That's always been your motto. And one thing I love about this church is the people. Uh, You guys know this. The church isn't a building with four walls and a roof, but the church is is people, and some of the people that I love the most are part of, of this church. Not just Blake and Brittany, but my, my in-laws, my, my, my great-grandma, they're a part of this church, and it's a great, great church, but, but how many of you know you got great leadership here at Faith Assembly? Like, it's, it's great. You got great leadership. Always have, always will. And uh, I just wanna talk about Pastor Blake and Brittany for a moment. Uh, you guys know, if you know Brittany, uh, you know Blake married up big time, right? Like he outpunted his coverage a little bit, and uh, and Pastor uh, Brittany's awesome. She's creative. She's she's innovative. She's got more talent than in her pinky than I got, and all I got. Like she's amazing. Uh, but Pastor Blake, I've known Pastor Blake since high school. And uh, Pastor Blake, like he said, we're, we're friends. We're buddies. And uh, my senior year of college was his freshman year of college. He came out, was on the team. And uh, it, we're, we were the seniors, so we're running the offense, showing the freshmen how, how the offense works. And so I, I was running a play, coach said. So I set a good clean screen on Pastor Blake. Uh, he, bu- he bumped into me, kind of fell down a little bit. And it was a good clean screen, though. And so I helped him up. I was like, Blake, it's going to be all right. Long season. You got this. Next play, coach calls the same play. Blake comes around. I set the screen. Blake comes around with the right hook. Boom. Liver shivery. Your pastor punched me. And so me being the more mature individual, I turned the other cheek and just gave him a blessing. And it was a great season from then on out. That's my story. And I got the microphone right now. But I learned something about your pastor in that moment. I learned that Pastor Blake is not afraid of challenges that most people are afraid of. Pastor Blake is daring to do some things that most people would not be daring to do. And I've seen that play out, not just in basketball, but throughout his life, and and Brittany's life as well. I've seen these two walk with integrity when most couples would have folded under pressure. I've seen these two hold their tongue when it had been very easy to gossip. I've seen these two walk away quietly when they could have burned the place down. I've seen these two stand up and speak when everyone else remained Silent, and for that reason, I'm so grateful for them in my life, and I'm so grateful for you here at Faith Assembly because not only have you, have you always had great leadership, but you continue to have great leadership, and for that reason, the best days are still ahead of you, Faith Assembly. Do you believe that? Let's give it up. That's good. Jesus got big plans for you guys, big plans, and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Hey, I got a picture of my family here. I want to show you this in case uh, the message stinks. At least you can say, well, he's got a nice looking family. So here's my wonderful family. Uh, that's my wife, Tiffany to you, Tiffalicious to me. That's my girl. That's my boo. That's my bae. She's, she's my everything. I love that girl. And uh, those three kids, I like to say this, I made that. I made that. Like, I made them. Like, look at that. I made that. My wife helped, but I made that. We do live in San Jose, California. It's the capital of Silicon Valley. If you're not familiar with San Jose, maybe you've heard the old song, do you know the way to San Jose? Uh, But if you don't know where it's at on the map, it's about 45 minutes south of San Francisco. Uh, A couple characteristics of San Jose, California. Uh, Number one, it's arguably the most influential city in the world because of the reach of technology. Uh, Our kids go to school right next to a, a small company called eBay. Uh, our, our people in our church, a couple of our elders, uh, they work at a small place called Apple. If you have an Apple phone, that's where they, they work there. They build that technology. A lot of them are, work at Facebook or, or Instagram. And, and so because of the reach of social media, San Jose, the Bay Area, is arguably the most influential city in, in the world. Uh, not only that, but it's the wealthiest city per capita in the world to date because of the wealth that's generated by by technology. Not only that, not only is it the wealthiest city in America, but it's the least philanthropic, like they're the least generous people. And according to a recent Barna search, uh, San Jose or the Bay Area is uh, the least churched area in the United States. And so I like to say this, we, we're a church of great influence, we're, we're an area of great wealth, but we're, we're miserly and we're pagan. And that's who, where God's called us to. Uh, so be grateful you live in where you do here in Fort Myers, Florida, because it's a beautiful, beautiful spot. But we love the Bay Area, and we're, we're grateful for God's call on our, our life. And We tried to get Pastor Blake and Brittany to move out to California, but something about the great state of Florida and God's calling their life would not allow that to happen. But, I'm excited to be here. And I, and I would say this too, like the Bay Area is not all bad. Like some of the most godly people I've ever met live there. Some of the people that have great means live very meek lives for the sake of the kingdom and supporting kingdom projects. And it's just exciting what God's doing there uh, in the Bay Area as well as here at Faith Assembly. And I would just say this, whenever things get tough in your life, I want you to know, man, you got a, you got a cohort of people. Uh, you got a church called Central Christian Church that's praying for you guys frequently and for the needs of this church. So let's jump in. Let's jump in today with that as an introduction. Let's jump into the Word of God today, Philippians chapter uh, 1, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses. This is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, just four short chapters, Uh, but this book of Philippians is dripping with joy, just four chapters. You could read it before lunch today. I hope you do read it sometime this week, but Paul uses this word repeatedly, joy or rejoice. This word's used 16 times in just four short chapters, and how desperate do we need joy in our day and age? A Washington Post article cited a UN report stating that America is increasingly unhappy. There's a lot of speculation as to why this is. One sociologist points to the fact that we're a mass addicted society. We have chemical addictions, substance abuse, pornography addictions, gambling addictions, food addictions, addictions to online gaming, and social media. The average 17-year-old spends eight hours a day on social media or online platforms, and as a result, they're increasingly isolated, lonely, depressed, and unhappy. At least you think it's just teens. How many of you have gone 24 hours turning your phone off and not landed in the fetal position? Like, it's not an easy thing to do. Like, we're all addicted to these devices in our pockets, and as a result, we're increasingly unhappy. So that what makes Paul's words to us in the book of Philippians all the more powerful, all the more potent, all the more necessary and timely as we navigate a pandemic of unhappiness and depression. So first, let's, let's jump in. What, what is happiness? This is where your notes begin. We could define happiness as this. Happiness is a sense of satisfaction based on what happens to you. So you get the car, you're happy. You get the date, you're happy. You get accepted into that college, you're happy. You get that retirement plan, you're, you're happy. Joy, on the other hand, is not like Happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to you, but joy is a sense of delight or pleasure that you feel regardless of your circumstances, and that's big. Regardless of your circumstances, and so where's joy found? If joy uh, can sustain us in the midst of life's ups and downs, where, where do we find joy? What's a source of joy? Well, three things. This is kind of an overview. Uh, one, joy is found in the presence of God. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. So joy is found in the presence of God. Second, we'll see that that joy is found in believing the gospel. Uh, We often read this at Christmas time, but in Luke chapter two, verse 10, the angels appeared to them and it says this, but the angels told them, don't be afraid, talking to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. That word great joy is like mega joy. It's joy on top of joy. It's joy overflowing with joy. And the joy will be for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so wherever joy is found, it's it's rooted in this good news about a Messiah. It's rooted in this good news about a a Savior. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, You love him, though you have not seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. So joy is found in the presence of God, joy is found in believing the gospel, and third, joy is found through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this, this is what the Holy Spirit will produce in your life. When you have the Holy Spirit active in your life, here's what people are gonna say about you. Man, they got got love in their life. Your life is marked by joy. By peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And whenever the Holy Spirit's at the root of your life, that's going to be the fruit that's produced from your life. And we could just stop right there and that would be a pretty good message, right? Like, go and apply that. Just spend more time in the presence of God this week. Just spend more time meditating, ruminating on the gospel, like how God has saved you. Like if we just spent the rest of our week thinking about how can we get the Holy Spirit more involved in our life, that'd be a pretty good week, right? So that's kind of a 30,000-foot level view. Now we're going to look at it a little bit more granular as we unpack the first eight verses of Philippians chapter 1. And by no means is this an exhaustive list. The whole book of Philippians unpacks principles for you to, and I to experience joy. This is just barely scratching the surface. But, but God wants you to have joy. Paul, Paul himself has joy. As he's pinning this, this letter to the church of Philippi, the book of Philippians, he's, he's in a jail cell and he has joy. He's been locked up for three years. He got arrested in Jerusalem, was almost shipwrecked on the way to Rome. He's now in Rome waiting to be, have his case heard by Caesar. He's in chains. Uh, The Romans had this hallucis. They would chain uh, prisoners. And so Paul has this chain on one wrist, and he's chained to a a Roman centurion on the other, 18 inches away. Think about that. Chained to a person 18 inches away, 24-7. He's in chains while he sleeps. He's in chains while he eats. How many of you spend too much time in the bathroom just to get a little privacy? Uh, He he has no privacy. Like, Like even the most vulnerable moments, like he's in chains. He's in chains while he's eating. He's in chains while he's writing this, this letter to the church of Philippi. And yet in the midst of that, Paul says he has joy. Philippians 1.4 says, I always pray with joy. Philippians 1.18, and because of this, I will rejoice. That's this, the action form. That's the, the, the verb of joy. I, I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice. So in the face of horrific circumstances, Paul has joy, and you just need to know today that you can too. Not only is joy a luxury, but I would suggest to you that joy is a necessity. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, if we're going to be strong in the Lord, if we're going to be strong in our faith, it's incumbent upon us to get to this place where we live from this posture of joy, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I've been praying for you here at Faith Assembly that you would experience a new normal of joy in your life. I pray when a doubting world sees you that when you dump, jump, bump into or dump into or bump, whatever, when, when you bump into people who, who don't go to faith, when you, when you bump into people at school or at work or at the baseball field who don't know Jesus, or maybe at the boat ramp who don't know Jesus, I pray when, when you bump into them that you would splash out joy. And they'd say, man, I don't know about what they believe, but I can tell you this, they got joy in their life and I want that. I pray that would be true for all of us as followers of Jesus. So, again, not an exhaustive list, but I'm going to give you three keys to unlocking joy in the journey. Three keys to unlocking joy in the journey. And the first key is this, remembering the good in life. Remembering the good in life. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first uh, five verses first says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. Now the saints, as you know, it's not the New Orleans saints, not the football team. It's not people who wear stocks and live in stained glass windows. It's people like you and me, followers of Jesus. We, we are the saints. To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Let me just set the stage for you a little bit on what's happening here at Philippi and how Paul came into contact with them. Uh, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. You might write that down, Acts 16, and read it later uh, today. But, but here's what Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica about his, his time there in Philippi. 1 Thessalonians 2.2 says this, we had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously. Where were they treated outrageously? In, in Philippi, as you know. But but with the help of our God, we dared to tell his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So while being treated outrageously in the midst of strong opposition, they shared their faith, they shared the gospel in Philippi and in Thessalonica. And so here's what took place in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, where the church of Philippi was planted. And so Paul and Silas, there's the, these missionaries, right? And so they go to Philippi, uh, they're looking for a place to pray and ask God for favor to, to start a church there in Philippi. They encounter this woman named Lydia. And Lydia was a, a, a businesswoman, she was a wealthy woman, she was, uh, created elaborate cloth. And so they share the gospel with Lydia. Lydia gets saved, commits her life to Jesus, starts following Jesus. And so uh, out of Lydia's house becomes this hub for the church in Philippi. And so the hub's there, but Paul and Silas are going around the city to share the gospel with other people. While they're doing that, there's this demon-possessed girl who has this supernatural ability to predict the future. And this slave girl, uh, her owners make a lot of money because of this demonic gift that she has. And so this slave girl for days follows Paul and Silas and says, these men are servants of the most high God. And they're telling you how to be saved, which doesn't sound like that bad of a message to me. But whatever it is, four days later, Paul's like ticked by it. So he rebukes the demons inside the girl and sets her free. So now this woman no longer has this ability to predict the future, which random sidebar here, I would just suggest this. If you are enticed by like horoscopes or fortune tellers or psychics or Ouija boards, I would just suggest to you that that power, that spiritual power is very real, but you need to know it's very demonic. And the Bible talks about that. And so they, they drive out this de- these demons out of this girl. They set her free, but the slave owners aren't real happy because now they have no longer have the means of making money off this demonic gift. you, you with me? And so they're, they're ticked. So they, they form a riot and they're like, Paul and Silas, let's, let's, let's kill them. Let's get rid of them. And so these rioters, they're, they're beating up Paul and Silas. They're, they're ready to tear them apart. The magistrates step in. They're like, what's going on? Why is there this riot going on? And so they arrest Paul and Silas. They have them beaten, their backs ripped open, and then they're put into a Roman jail cell where their feet would be locked into stocks. Uh, they would be up against a wall. It's not like prisons like we think of today. They'd be very luxurious compared to the prisons at that time. So their feet are locked in stocks. They can't move. They can't go to the bathroom. Well, they can, but they're, they're just sitting in it, you know, like, and so it's nasty. It's a filthy situation. Their backs are bloodied. And about midnight, Paul looks at Silas and says, you know what? I know we don't have Steve Goss here, but I think it's time to worship. And so they begin to lift their voice in worship to God, saying he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it all. And about midnight, there's this shaking that happens, an earthquake happens. And the foundation, like the the jail cell breaks open, their their shackles are loose. And the the jailer's like, he's about to kill himself because it would would cost him his life if if a, 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 a person in prison got loose. And Paul's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, we're here. Everyone's here. Everyone's accounted for. And Paul and Silas lead that jailer to Jesus. And their whole family, like throughout the hours of the night, clean up Paul and Silas' back. And the whole family gets baptized. It's this beautiful scene. The next morning, the magistrates that arrested them and beat them found out that Paul is a Roman citizen. And it was illegal at the time to arrest a Roman citizen without a trial. It was illegal at the time to beat up a Roman citizen, punish them, without first giving them a trial. And so these magistrates that gave that order could themselves be beaten, could themselves be imprisoned, or possibly even killed. And so Paul knows this. So like, hey, Paul, our bad. There's the door. Feel free to go. Like, you're, you're free to go back to wherever you want to go. And Paul, like, pulls a Governor Santos, and he's like, he's like no, like, not on our wall. I know the law. And, like, you come and apologize to me. And why don't you escort me out of here? And so that's what they do. And, and, and that's what takes place at... At Philippi. So now check this out one more time. Back to Philippians chapter one. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul could have said, When I remember you, I remember I, I remember your demonic people. Like I remember that demon-possessed girl. Hey, when I remember you, Philippi, I remember your crooked politicians. I remember your corrupt officials. I remember how they put me in chains unjustly. I remember what they did. Hey, every time I remember you, Philippi, I remember the scars on my back. That's what I remember about you. But that, Paul doesn't allow himself to go there. He says, hey, whenever I reflect on you, I remember the good things. I remember the pleasant things. And as a result, it brings joy into Paul's life. But that's our human condition, isn't it? it it's challenging for us to overlook the faults and find the good. It's a challenge for us. There's not a person in this room who could not recount hurts, something someone said to you, something someone did to you, how you got overlooked, how you were unjustly treated. And it's our human nature to recount those. Matter of fact, sociologists today are saying the leading cause of suicide is rumination. It's thinking over and over and over again about all the wrongs that were done to you until people get to this place where they, I don't have any more hope. It's it's counterintuitive to joy. And Paul doesn't allow himself to go there. I think this might be in your notes, but joy can't be present today while rehearsing the hurts of yesterday. that's just important for us to know. It's hard for us to walk in joy while we're thinking about all the hurts we've experienced in our life. So Paul has given us keys to joy, and the first key is to stop ruminating, stop rehearsing over and over in our mind the pain of our past. If you do that, you'll experience some, some joy. Philippians 1, 3 through 5 says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. That word thank there, it's the Greek word Eucharista. We get our English word Eucharist from it. It's like this communion celebration. It's this, it's this Thanksgiving celebration. He's say, man, every time I think about you, I, I just give thanks because of the work God's done in you. And I just say this, man, I, I feel the same way about you, faith assembly. When I think about how you serve the hurting in this city in the midst of the hurricane, man, I thank God for you. When I think about how you make an impact not only locally by by feeding the hungry right here in North Fort Myers, but how you you make an impact globally through global missions, man, every time I think about those realities, I just think, I thank God for you. You're doing it, church. And that's a beautiful thing. He says, I always thank God for you, and I always pray with joy. and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And so Paul chooses to overlook some offenses. He chooses to overlook some hurts, and he focuses on the good that they've done, and it leads to this place of joy. I got this picture I wanna put up on the screen behind me, some cows. Uh, you guys see these a little bit more frequently than we do in Silicon Valley, but this is a beautiful picture. And I think it's the, a, a picture of, of life in a lot of ways. Some people see this, and, and you ask them, what do you see? Or are they, they, you talk about people, and you're like, what do you see? And they point out all the cow patties, right? They're like, there's cows, and where there's cows, there's patties, right? And here's what you need to know. Where there's people, there's patties, right? And you can choose to focus on the patties that people lay in life. That's your choice. Or you can choose to focus on and say, man, look at that sunrise, that's beautiful. Like, look at that landscape. Can you believe it? Isn't God good? Same picture, two totally different perspectives. And the question is, what type of person do you want to be? It takes zero talent to be able to point out the cow patties in the past years of life. It takes someone of faith to say, man, I, I know there's patties there, but let's just focus on that sunset for a moment. I know there's challenge there, but let me just tell you about the grace of God who's at work in ways that we don't even see it right now. That takes faith, to see the best, to speak the best, remembering the good in life. Paul does that, and it leads him to this place of joy. Second key that Paul outlines for us is, to, uh, is recognizing that God is doing a work in each of us. So we're going to remember the good things in life. We're going to recognize that God's doing a work in each of us. It allows Paul to walk in joy. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, he's like, I, he's so confident, he's like, I know that I know that I know that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, I know we're not where we want to be, but praise God we're not where we used to be, and thank God we're not where we will be one day. Like, he's got, in a blink of an eye, like, he could, it could come right now and it'll all be changed. And Paul hangs on to that hope and allows him to interact with people with more and more grace. Because Paul's saying, man, I got some patties in my life too. I got some junk in my life. So I'm not just going to highlight the wrong in your life. I'm going to recognize that God's doing a work. And he's doing a work in me. He's also doing a work in you. And I would just say for those of you that maybe are new to faith, maybe you're new to walking with Jesus, hey, God's committed to this process. He's began a work in you. He's going to complete the work in you. Some of you have been walking with Jesus your whole life, and you're like, why do I still struggle with this? How, how, how do I keep stumbling over my own feet in that area? Listen, he who began a good work in you, he's, he's committed to complete that work in you. And Paul understands that and allows him to interact with more grace, not only for himself, but for everyone else around him. When we believe that, we start talking that way and we find joy In relationships, let's be people that say, hey, I know they're struggling, but I long for the day when they fill out that praise report that they say, hey, where there was weakness, now there's strength. Hey, where there was defeat, now we're experiencing victory. Let's speak that. Let's believe that for people that we love. And if you're like me, the hardest people to do that for is probably the people you love the most. Because we're quick to be critical. We're quick to point out faults rather than point out the good in people's lives. Paul does that. In the midst of extreme persecution, in the midst of extreme circumstances, he still highlights the good and re- recognizes that God's doing a work in all of us. The third key, final key, if you taking notes, is relationships with other believers. Relationships with other believers. Philippians 1, 7 through 8 says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He's saying, like, check it out, church. We're knit together. Like, if if I'm advancing the kingdom, you're advancing the kingdom. If I'm thriving, you're thriving. Like, we're in this together. Verse 8, and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't say words like that about people that I don't really know well. Like, like, I, don't, I haven't I walked up to a stranger and said, it's so great to see you. I long for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. Like, they have padded rooms for people that behave that way, right? So, so that's, that would be weird. Don't do that. But when you have deep relationships with people, when you walk with people, when you've been with people in their highest heights and their deepest valleys, it creates this bond that's unlike any other. Paul says it's right for me to feel this way. What does he mean by that? Well, one, he's shared, he's thankful for them. He, he, whenever he remembers them, he remembers them with joy. He has joy whenever he thinks about how God's working in them. But all that comes out of deep relationships. That's why here at Faith, you guys champion groups. And I would just encourage, if you're not connected in community here, if you're not, not tied into a group, man, jump in today. Sign ups are today. That's why serve teams exist. Some people think, like, man, the church is just always pushing this or pushing that. No, the church is pushing it because if you take action on it, it's going to lead to joy in your life. So join a serve team, get a part of a group, be tied into community. It will help you thrive, it will help you flourish in life. The Bible's resoundingly clear on this. But here's some other reports. There's a, the most thorough research project on relationships, it's called the Almadi. Uh, Al- um, I'm still learning how to speak up here. Alameda, there it is, Alameda County Study. Alameda County Study was conducted by Harvard, and uh, they tracked over 7,000 people for nine years, and this was their finding, and I quote, the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol use, but still had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than those who had great health habits, but were isolated. One author wrote this after reading that study, he said, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than broccoli in isolation. Which I think broccoli and Twinkies, Twinkies always wins. But it's not good to do life alone. Like the research shows that the Bible's clear on that. Be tied into community. Here's what God said, Genesis 2.18, he he created man. He says this, the Lord God said, it's not good. Like it's not good to do life alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam, it's not good for you. When people live in isolation, they get weird. Like I'm from California, we are in isolation for like 5,000 years during COVID. You guys are like running free out here, it was awesome. Uh, But I can testify, like people get weird when they're in isolation. People in our church got super weird during COVID, and they're they're still weird. I mean, we live in California, but it's, it's, it's heightened in isolation. Another study, the Journal of American Medical Association, they had 276 volunteers infected with the virus that produced the common cold. The study found that people with strong emotional connection did four times better fighting off the illness than those who were more isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less virus, produce significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. So even the studies show that unfriendly people literally are snottier than friendly people. (laughs) And finally, Harvard University and University of Wisconsin, they got together, they did a study of not only people who had strong relationships, but also people who had strong relationships just in secular space and people who had strong relationships within a church context. And here's what they said, and I quote, if you compare two people with the same number of close friends in life, both inside the church and outside the church, those with stronger relationships with people inside the church reported being happier. In other words, people with more were more satisfied than those outside the church. So, so people with relationships inside the church, a lot more satisfied than, than relationships with outside the church. And so this reporter who's not a Christian, he wrote this. He said, I'm not a religious person. But after I did this study, I was surprised by how well the friendships within a congregation actually explain people's satisfaction. And he conducted, the after he concluded, here's the last sentence of that study, he said, I personally considered whether or not I should go to church because he was so blown away by by these results. He says, I know it would make my mom happy. And I would suggest it wouldn't just make his mama happy, it would lead to a life of joy. And so a question for you is, do you have strong connections inside the church? Are you relationally connected? Because at the root of it, it's gonna result in joy. I know it's sometimes easy to slide in, slide out, but listen, if you want more joy in your life, get connected relationally. Join a group, take the culture course, jump in today. Three keys to unlocking joy in the journey from Philippians 1.8. I hope you read this book this week, four chapters, read it quick, but it'll result in, Paul lays out a lot more principles for joy throughout this this epistle. But the first eight verses, this introduction lays out for us that, that we can experience joy by remembering the good in life. What if we all committed to that this week? Imagine what life would be like if you committed to say, hey, I'm gonna overlook some cow patties in people's life and I'm gonna call it the good things I see. I'm gonna see the best, I'm gonna speak the best about people. Imagine the environment in your home, how it would shift. Imagine how it would shift the environment in your workspace, in your school. Second key, recognize that God's doing a work in each of us. Man, oftentimes, we can extend some grace to ourselves and not be so gracious with other people. For some of you, it's the opposite. The person that you struggle to extend grace to the most is you, but hey, recognize God's doing a work in you, and he's not done with it yet. He's doing a work in your kids. He's doing a work in your grandkids. He's doing a work in your coworkers. He's doing a work in your classmates, and he's committed to complete that work. And let's be gracious in that process. And third and final, relationships are a big deal. Isolation makes people weird and it stifles joy. Relationship with others will result in joy in your life. And imagine if we applied that. Imagine you put priority on relationships with other believers, relationships with people in the church and outside the church. You did life together so you could celebrate the highs and the lows believe it will result in joy for you and for all those around you let me pray for your faith jesus we just thank you for your love for your radical grace in our life we thank you jesus that being tied to you one of the fruits of that is joy and god we desperately need that so ultimately what we're asking god is for more of you in our life god would you fill us afresh with your spirit would you help us to marvel at the gospel of grace that saves us Would you help us just to spend time in your presence, oh God? Would you help us to be people that remember the good things in life, to recognize you're doing a work in other people, and God, to be connected relationally because that's how you wired us to thrive. And God, we're gonna give you all the thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, We invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. Or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.